Welcome into another edition of Home Run Throwback. I am your host, Jimmy Morris. Very excited to be joined tonight by Mike Keith, voice of the Titans. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Always glad to have you. Uh, before we get started, remind you, as always, BroadwaySportsMedia.com is the website. Uh, you'll find all the coverage that you want with the Titans draft uh, from the last recording this on Sunday night, so the last three days, and then as we get into Undrafted free agents and, and the offseason program, all that stuff coming up. Uh, we'll have all that stuff covered for you. Um, so just be sure and check that out again, broadwaysportsmedia.com. All right, so we'll start from the top. Uh, the Titans in the first round draft Caleb Farley, who, you know, pretty much anything you read that says this guy is a, you know, top 10, top 15 player if he doesn't have the medical concerns. So talk about Caleb Farley as a player and about how you think he fits in this defense. He's elite. He's an elite athlete, Jimmy. He's 6'2". I had a chance to stand next to him, and that's not a joke. He's, you know, he's certainly tall. He's rangy. He's long. And he is incredibly fast. Phenomenal athlete. Guy that was a high school quarterback and made in North Carolina recruited to Virginia Tech, they said, hey, could you spend a year playing wide receiver? Because we we don't have wide receivers. What we'd like to do eventually is move you to corner, but right now we need you at wide receiver. First day of practice in 2017, he tears his ACL. No pads. No, no nothing. They're, they're, they're in like the 11th period of the first practice he tears up his knee. So he comes back the following spring, and Bud Foster and company say, hey, we want to move you to defense. And he says, hey, I trust you coaches. Let's do it. He says, the only problem is I've never tackled. you got to teach me how to tackle because he'd always been an offensive guy because he was the fastest guy in the field. I talked to somebody on Friday at Maiden High School, and they said the best play that they ran when he was the quarterback was a broken play, a busted play because then he could just run around and make something happen. And in the space of 2018 and 2019, he does some remarkable things for Virginia Tech. Like a lot of athletes, I think was confused by what was going to happen in 2021 or 2020, I should say, and sort of just made a commitment that, okay, if I don't know that I'm going to play, Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to start training for the draft. And so he opted out. Uh, Elite speed, sub-4-3 speed. We mentioned the length. We mentioned the height. He certainly figured out how to tackle. Uh, If the back concern does not come up, he could have been the second corner taken. He certainly could have been a top-10 pick. The Titans had a very high grade on him. He was what their target was. In the first round, you know, there, there certainly would have been other guys that they would have been interested in. But in terms of where they were, knowing that they needed a corner and understanding that they could get an elite player, they had done their due diligence over and above, felt very good about the medicals. We started to hear more and more good things publicly about the medicals which obviously that's not nearly as much information as what the clubs get. But when things like that start leaking out, you you know it's probably pretty good. And so, you know, when they got him 22nd, I think 
I don't want to say I think they were dumbfounded, but I think they were thrilled much in the way they were thrilled two years ago when they got Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they actually, the Titans doctors got to see him and do medical evaluations on him, correct? I I think that's what John Robinson said. I think that is what John Robinson said. I heard that, that same thing in the press conference. I don't know a lot of specifics on that, so I don't want to go any further, but I was going to do the same thing as you and just quote John. Let's, let's put it this way. If the medical staff had any question at all, they wouldn't have picked him. Yeah, because I mean, this year, you know, it was similar to last year in that there was a lot of stuff that you couldn't do that you mm-hmm. normally would get to do. But, mm-hmm. you, you know, and that was one of the concerns, I think, was I, I guess they got on – and, again, I'm, I'm not sure exactly on all this, but there was there were some prospects that they basically got a pool report on from doctors right. in, in, in Indianapolis, but it sounded like that the Titans at least got to evaluate him to some extent themselves. So, I mean, I think that probably made them feel better. And, and, and honestly, I mean, just as a fan, hearing that made me feel a little bit better to – have seen that, and so at least they kind of got their hands on him, so to speak, to have a little bit, a little bit more information than maybe they could have otherwise. But it seems like to me that this defense is going to move in a direction of playing a lot of man in the secondary, and it just seems like his skill set really sets up for that. Big time. I mean, that's what he is. He is an offensive player playing defense. And when you see those kind of guys, you know they're special. I mean, that's what we saw out of him at Virginia Tech. If you've watched the tape on how he plays the ball, he does not play it like a defensive player. He plays it like an offensive player. The The whole bit, Jimmy, about when the ball's in the air, it's anybody's ball. Well, you know, with some guys it's really not because, frankly, they can't catch. Uh, he, he can't. And I, I think people are really going to like what he adds. Because he gives you something that you really haven't had. Now, he had good speed. He's faster than Adoree Jackson, which is hard to believe. And and he's considerably bigger and longer than Adoree Jackson. And he will come up in tackle, which when you're in the nickel or dime packages so much, people want to try to run on you because what they're going to do is they're going to test the corners. I mean, let's face it. We got the playoff game. And Baltimore threw those little short passes to go right at Adoree Jackson and make him tackle. And this guy is is a guy who is very willing to come up and and lay the wood. And I don't think he's as good as what he's going to be. Because like we talked about the other night, and I don't mean to repeat myself, but he's been playing corner three years. He's played corner two years. He's played defense two years. You know, he... He's a very smart athlete, but he's not finished getting better. I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, Sertan's a guy who's played a lot of football. His dad was an NFL player. J.C. Horn is a guy who's played a lot of football. His dad's an NFL player. This is a guy who could end up over time having the most potential of the three because he has the most potential growth. And that's what... If you're a Titans fan, I think that's what you're excited about. The other thing, too, is as you go forward next year, not only this year with the cap issues as they are, but next year, the cap's not going up, at least as it stands right now. 
it's not going up $50 million next year. So if you've got your corners on your roster and you have cost containment at the cornerback position to where you can afford to spend money other places, that's a huge factor for your ball club. So not only do you maybe get better on the field, you get better off the field in terms of the accounting prospects with what's in the secondary. Jimmy, that's why a corner always made the most sense to me in the first round. Because you you needed, I, I thought you needed a difference maker. And I think they got one. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, I mean, it, it just seems so similar to what they had with Simmons two years ago. I mean, the injuries are a little bit different because I, I guess there's more questions with a back than, you know, with, with an ACL these days. But it, it just seemed like it, when you get a guy that has that level of talent at that spot, it's really tough, especially when you have a need at that spot. Sure. It, it's really well, tough. And to we did. Yeah, and, and we did. I mean, let's face it, the – the thing with where Adoree was, he was going to come into his fifth year making a lot of money. And and then Malcolm Butler is over 30. Kenny Vaccaro is, was an expensive piece as well. And the Titans didn't have great productivity in the secondary last year. And so as you try to kind of refine the overall defense and you refine the secondary, you're, you're looking for some pieces to potentially make you better. I mean, no offense to the players we had at corner before. We know Jonathan Joseph was not thought to be brought in to play every snap for the first half of the season. That wasn't the idea. But he had to. Well, it didn't work. You know, it, it just didn't work out. Uh, some of the guys, I mean, if you really think about it and who the Titans were playing down the stretch at corner, you know, playing Breon Borders who joined the club and, you know, kind of shuffling in different guys. It's almost pretty amazing this team won the division. When you when you think about who this team was playing at corner and who they were playing at left tackle, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and that's the thing I think a lot of people forget is that, you know, when we – this time last year, when you looked at what you thought your three corners were going to be, you felt pretty good about Butler, sure. Dory, and, and Christian Fulton. And then you get to week one, and you – don't really. I mean, Fulton was, you know, had been banged up, and Dory wasn't there. It was just, it was a completely different deal. And I, I think you're right. Well, I mean, to do what they did was 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 pretty remarkable. And Dory got hurt the week of the first game. It's not like he got hurt in camp, and you had an extra two weeks. He got hurt on Wednesday, Wednesday before the Monday night game. And so you're saying, okay, he's going to have to, you know, have something done and is going to miss some time, and you don't expect that he's going to miss 12 games, you know, you're, you're th- or 13 games, whatever it ended up being. You're thinking you're going to have him back at some point. And then you have Kenny Vaccaro, who has some concussion problems throughout the course of the year. You know, Monty Hooker did a pretty good job. And I, I think Amani Hooker has got a chance to win that safety job. I think he's going to have to battle for it, though. Because I think, you know, they're going to run some people at him to try to find the best group of five that they could possibly find. But um, if he takes another step from year two to year three, I I think he'll probably win that job, especially if he takes the step he did from year one to year two. But, yeah, you think about the whole defense. You know, as as you're looking at the Titans entering the season, you've got Evans and Brown at linebacker, and you're bringing in Clowney 
to go with Beasley and Landry, and you're saying, okay, you know, this is pretty good defense. And then it just all falls apart for a variety of reasons. All you can do is put together the best group you can, and that's what John Robinson has certainly tried to do in this offseason with Bud Dupree and Danico Autry and Janoris Jenkins and, and now this draft class. Yeah, and in the, in the second round, they go with Dylan Radins, I think is how you pronounce his name, um, the tackle from North Dakota State. I, I think yeah. it's, not, it's not a huge surprise that they took a, a right tackle there um, because you, you, mean, you knew they, they had a need. They, they've got a couple of guys that they've got on the roster now that, that could compete for that spot. But again, a guy that most people had graded significantly higher than right. that pick and, and a guy that you know has a chance to come in win that job and be a pretty significant upgrade over maybe what they already had on the roster. Um, so I mean, I, I, I'm assuming that was kind of the line of thinking that went into you know going ahead and pulling the trigger there. When a lot of people were expecting them to go wide receiver at that at that point. Well, I, so when they got there, here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the number of wide receivers that are still there. I'm looking at the number of edges that are still there, and what, what I've seen at that point, Jimmy, is I've seen a significant number of those top tackles come off the board. I had hoped that you could get that guy in the third round. What, what I had sort of hoped is maybe that was going to be, second round was going to be a spot for one of those edge guys, and it might have been if some things had not happened right above them. But you're, you're saying, okay, can I get an edge there? and then get a tackle in the third round, and then maybe get the receiver with pick 100, or get the receiver at pick 85, and then take a tackle at number 100. That's kind of how I was seeing it from those top-end guys. But those tackles started coming off so fast. And, you know, Raidens is a guy that was mentioned. There was was a group probably of, what, 10 guys who had been listed in mocks different ones at least, oh, he may go 29th or he may go 30th or, you know, and and Raidens is one of those guys that had been mentioned as being a potential borderline first rounder, certainly second round pick. He's a starter. You, you know, you think of him when, when you make that pick at 53, you're thinking you've drafted a starting player. Now, does that mean he starts from moment one? No. Not necessarily, maybe, but you're you're thinking, Dylan Radins. If we're doing your podcast in seven years, Dylan Radins is still a starter in the Titans' offensive line. It's Michael Ruse, it's David Stewart, it's you know, it's one of those kind of guys that you feel. Nate Davis, you know, you feel like that's the type of pick you're making here, and because of what the numbers were and the receivers. The stacks of receivers that were so strong, it it just seemed like you didn't have to hurry as much. And I know everybody wanted it fast (coughs) because everybody wanted Elijah Moore. Uh, Elijah Moore doesn't quite fit what they're looking for at this point. They, They want kind of a bigger receiver. That's sort of what the Titans do at this point in time. Doesn't mean he's not a good player, but... They weren't going to reach up and go grab somebody like that. Now, had he been there at 53, they might have taken. But with where the ratings and the rankings were and thinking about your needs, this was clearly the best pick 
in my opinion, at this moment. This was the, far and away the best value. You're saying with that pick in round two, I got to get a starter. And I think they got a starter. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, like you said, it, it was pretty obvious that they were going to go corner early. And, and so not surprising at all to see that got taken in the first round. And then when you listen to John Robinson, when he did his pre-draft press conference, I think that was Wednesday of last week, um, you know, you kind of read between the lines and what he said. Basically, this receiver group is really deep. And so you kind of had the feeling they were going to wait a little bit on that. And and so you weren't surprised to see them go corner in the first. But then, uh, you know, as night two continued and and you still didn't get the receiver, I think that's where – People were starting to get, I mean, myself included, starting to get a little bit concerned just with what you've seen leave in this offseason. When you've seen Corey Davis leave, you've seen Jonu Smith leave, not a receiver, obviously, but a, a pass catcher. Um, right. Thought they would spend a little bit more on that, on those picks. And that's where, again, I wasn't, I wasn't shocked with Raiden's in the second round. Um, it was the, the third round pick was really the first time that I was, I was surprised when they went with, with Monty Rice after they had traded back. Um, with, with the Packers and get that. So what, what do you think the thinking is when they get to that point to go with, you know, the inside linebacker there in, in, instead of a receiver? I think their feeling at that point is they're going to be able to get the receiver in the fourth round and that they've got, a, a, as Coach Mack likes to say, they've got a pod of guys that are basically in the same place. Because remember, there had been a, you know, the, the one that I think is interesting to me is if Josh Palmer is there at 85, I wonder what they do. Because Josh Palmer really, I, I started hearing two weeks out, Josh Palmer is a third round pick. And when I told a friend of mine in Knoxville on Friday that I, or a Friday morning, that I thought Josh Palmer would go before Trey Smith. He was like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, I don't think it's anything to do with Trey Smith. So, you know, Trey's a guard, and the, the trouble with that is guards are not as hot a commodity as receivers are right now, and Josh Palmer hit it out of the park in all of his interviews, his workout, and when people watched his tape and saw him play against the toughest corners in the SEC, he won the 50-50 ball. He's also a great athlete. So he's he's gone at 77 to the Chargers. Some other things happened before 85. You're looking at the pot of receivers. You're saying, we're going to be able to get one in the fourth round. Let's go ahead and move back here, and let's target the linebacker that we like because we've got questions today, tomorrow, next week, and next year at inside linebacker. And so at that point, the Titans go back to Georgia and they pull the trigger on Monty Rice, who is a guy who can play on the inside, but you know really projects as a three-down linebacker because he has really good speed. So that was the move. Did it shock me? Yeah. Yeah, I thought they would go linebacker. I thought it would probably be earlier than like the sixth round. Just because I, I'm thinking that may be your fifth round pick. That may be an Avery Williamson type type pick. You know, the guy I'm talking about in that situation where because you can find a you can find a starting linebacker in the fifth round in the NFL. You can absolutely do. But 
this is more of a necessity for the Titans because as we started breaking it down on the air, and I, I was talking about this, I keep a depth chart in front of me. And I, I've got J.N. Brown, I've got Rashawn Evans, I've got David Long. Then I've got two guys who've never been on an NFL regular season roster for a year. In Devin Bellamy and Jan Johnson, I've got B.J. Bello, who they've just signed, who is more or less a special teams linebacker. He has played some, but that's it. And the two guys at the top are at this point not under contract for next year. So when I say today, tomorrow, next week, and next year, I mean, you've, you've got a situation on your hands. And we saw what happened to the Titans when Jayon Brown went out this year in the Baltimore game. It certainly hurt the ball club. Uh, David Long did some nice work, not, not demeaning him. But, I mean, they, they didn't have anything after that. You know, they, they were in a position where they just didn't have enough depth and you're you're then you're worried about special teams and you know so on and so forth. So um, you know I I just think that was the move that they had to make. Would it be better to go sign a veteran player? You know yes, but nobody right now has the money to sign a veteran player. So that's another factor in all of this that in the drafting process, the fact that nobody has cap room in in particular a majority of the really good teams don't have cap room for the Titans. You got to, you got to draft a corner. You've got to draft an offensive line. You, you've got to draft a linebacker because you're, you're not going to be able to go out and pay a veteran $5 million. You don't have the money. It's like, I give you this, the Julio Jones thing would be fantastic, right? Right. Yeah. It would be fantastic. Have you looked at his contract? Yeah. It's all guaranteed. I mean, I don't I don't know how they would do it. Because the money you see that they're supposedly under the cap right now, and I don't know if it's the exact figure, but it's probably in the ballpark. Well, that's just the top 51 players. When you get to the regular season, you got 53 players, everybody on injured reserve, your um your practice squad and then that cushion money that you have for injuries that are certain to come. So, so many teams are going to have to continue to find money as we go through the process to get to the season. And that's why a lot of these big things that, you know, that people talk about from a mathematical situation right now just aren't possible. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing. Like you said, that, that Julio Jones thing would be great, but you're talking about major contract restructures and all that stuff that would have to happen just for that to, to be a possibility. And so, I mean, it'd be great, well, obviously, but <laughs> there's it is so, a lot of work. And, and some of that's going to have to happen anyway right? to get you to the season as it stands right now. So if you – if you added on something like that kind of deal to your bottom line, then you're in a situation where you have to do everything. And the, the biggest reason the Titans are in as good a shape as they are right now is that John Robinson has not carried massive dead money every single year. And so this year, he can afford to take some hits on dead money because the offset, the, the money that he saves is so much greater than the dead money. 
if you're sitting there paying guys against the cap who don't play for you anymore, you're in a world of hurt. And as we saw 15 years ago, it'll come back to bite you in the butt pretty quickly. Yeah, you can only kick that can so far down the road. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and that can, and, and I think it's important for Titan fans to understand it, that can still has to be kicked to the fall. There, I mean, nobody, I, I mean, I, I guess Indianapolis and Jacksonville and a couple other teams are, you know, there because they've got tons of money. Um, but for the majority of teams, it's, it's all going to be work. And, you know, that's why I do think there will be that third wave of free agency where some veterans are going to be out there and they're going to be a, a lot more one-year contracts and lower guaranteed salaries for some really good players who decide they want to play. But that's, part, that's a big part of the reason for the Monty Rice pick. It's depth. He is a talented guy. I mean, he's a tackle machine and, and played in the best conference in America, can really run, can cover. But but also, he is more of a necessity in every way possible because of the financial aspect of it for this year and for going forward. Yeah, and then they have that their, their the comp pick there in the third mm-hmm. round, which is pick number 100, where they get Elijah Molden. And again, you know, everybody's screaming for a wide receiver. But Elijah Molden is really good. And, okay. you know, if you if – you, really look at the roster coming into the draft, you, you knew they were going to have to take multiple corners. Because, again, you, you know, you, we, we think they've got the three, right? But we thought that last year, too. And then we saw how it all kind of fell apart with injury right. and, and that kind of stuff. And so now you, you've at least a little bit insured yourself with something like that, with getting a guy like Molden, who I would assume that they really didn't think it was still going to be there at pick 100. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Nobody had him rated as the 100th pick. The The thing that I was looking at the night of the draft had him rated as the 50th best player in the draft. And I said this on Titans Radio. I looked at Dave McGinnis and I said, he's far and away the highest rated player outside of Jabril Cox. And, you, you know, just eight picks earlier, you chose another linebacker over Jabril Cox. So what Jabril Cox's rating is – doesn't matter to you because you say you think for what you do, Monty Rice is a better player. Okay, got that. But, I mean, Elijah Molden can play corner. He's played safety. He plays on the inside. He will tackle anybody. He is sticky, sticky, sticky. He does not have the long speed, you know, of the typical outside corner. I mean, he's a four or six guy. He's more quick then he is world-class fast. But, I mean, let's all remember, 4.6 is still fast. That's still faster than your average human. That's pretty good. It's it's no problem. Now, it's not 4.2. It's it's not going to beat Usain Bolt. But, I mean, that's okay. It's not 4.9. You know, I mean, you'll be all right doing that. Um, He's really good. He's really, really good. And with his pedigree and the way he's been coached and the way he gets after it and just the attitude he brings. I mean, he's got some of that Cortland Finnegan, Tyron Matthew thing about him. Um, and, he, and he clearly understands the game. 
I mean, in terms of value, I think what most people are saying about the Titans draft is Caleb Farley was a great value pick at 22, but Elijah Molden was probably the best value pick of anybody that they got. So when when you're sitting there at that point, are you saying, okay, we got two fourth-round picks, and we're going to be able to get a receiver in the fourth round? And I think John Robinson knew at that point he was going to go up and get one guy anyway. So at that moment, do you say, okay, let's, you know, let's let's take the, who we think is the best player on the board at a position where you can never have enough guys. And that's that's what they did. I, I got a lot of the angst after night two, and I came home and I started reading about Monty Rice before I went to bed because I wanted to make sure – that I understood why he was a, was the guy, and as I read about him, I, you know, you started to you started to see how he fits, you know, in the linebacker depth in the fifty three man roster, potentially in the forty six man roster, in the salary cap, all of those things. He fits a skill set that you needed, and Elijah Molden is a guy that you don't have. You, they they don't have a guy like this. Very few teams in the league have a guy like this. And I think it's going to be quite exciting to watch it. I think he I think he factors in somewhere this year. In in a sub package. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe he starts, who knows? But I, I think he factors in. I think they stole him at number one hundred. Yeah, and then, so then like you said, they they make the move up in the fourth round. Um you know, it, I guess it cost them two picks technically because you know you swapped mm-hmm. the, the fourth round pick and then you, you gave away two right. picks. But they had picked up a pick the night before trading back, uh, you know, from eighty five. So you know, when you look at it that way, it wasn't all that costly. What are they getting in Des Fitzpatrick? Okay, getting bigger. You know, you're getting Corey Davis size. And let's let's stop and think about this for a second. Um, they are a team that plays two tight ends a majority of snaps. Why do they do that? They have the best running back in the league. They also like to balance up defenses. They have a versatile tight end that they're going to use a lot who's not being talked about enough right now in terms of what his role was and what his role is going to be, and I think that's Anthony Ferkser. If they go into a slot situation, Ferkser's going to play the slot a good bit because he works beautifully out of the slot. So you're looking for bigger receivers. You're looking for outside guys, guys who can run. Des Fitzpatrick is that 6'1 and a half, 6'2, 210-pound, 4'47, go get the ball, has a great understanding of how he fits in an offense. You know, at Louisville, they used him as the Z receiver for two years and then as the X receiver for two years. For all the talk about Tutu Atwell, who is spectacular, Des Fitzpatrick was their most consistent receiver over that period of time. In in my line of thinking, you got, just like what you did when you went out in free agency and you were able to bring in Josh Reynolds, a 6'3", 200-pound receiver, now you've gone out with Des Fitzpatrick, 6'2", 208, and you've gotten a guy who can fit into that rotation. And because of his skills and his savvy, he plays for you in a role right away, I believe. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so, like you said, I think that you just now looking back and seeing the whole thing and how it all played out again, I think when you get to 100, you've got Molden who you didn't think was going to be there and you've still got a handful of receivers that, right. you're, that you're happy with and you're well, probably going to have to go up and get it. But they, they, I mean, John Robinson had plenty of draft capital at that point. It wasn't like in years past where, you know, you're down to three or four picks in a, a total in the draft. I mean, he had some, he had some, wiggle room there because he had accumulated an extra pick and right. you had plenty of picks in this draft coming in, which hadn't been right. the case and, in years past. And, and I mean, think about like Amandra St. Brown. He's a receiver that I like too. Well, he went right after Des Fitzpatrick. So you could tell those guys in those same sort of places on the draft board were all, you know, were right there. So if, but they were going to have to go up to get one. They had 126 and 135. So what can you do at that point? Well, you take 126, you take your fifth-round pick, you take your seventh-round pick. You're still going to have an eight-player draft, which you need, because you need rookies to make this roster. And you go get a guy who, in a year that's not as spectacular in terms of receiver depth as the last two have been, I mean, he might have been a second-round pick in another year. Yeah, he's a really good player. And when you, I mean, what's the, the, the knock on him? I'll give you the knock on him. There are a bunch of receivers in this draft. And some of them are, you know, crazy humans. You know, Jamar Chase is, I mean, he's crazy. Kadarius Tony is crazy. The Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, is a, a remarkable athlete. Jalen Waddle fractured his ankle at Tennessee, and he still went sixth. You know, those were the guys that were going to go at the top end, and then you were going to have that next group, and that whole next group is whatever is your flavor. You know, are you a strawberry? Are you chocolate? Are you Rocky Road? Are you vanilla? Are you cookies and cream? And, and that's the way that rating goes. That's like I was just talking about Josh Palmer. Josh Palmer was projected as a sixth-round pick three weeks ago. Wrong. <laughs> because... Everybody started to, to realize that teams thought of him much differently than they did based on the fact that he didn't catch that many passes at Tennessee. You know, I, I think Des Fitzpatrick still being there and Amonra St. Brown still being there and some of the receivers still being there gave the Titans the ability to pick Elijah Molden at number 100, just like you said, Jimmy. And I think we're, you know, just as fans, I mean, I'm sure John Robinson has already caught up to this, but the receiver position is getting deeper and deeper every year. Mm -hmm. You know, and sure. you don't necessarily, I mean, like you talked about, those top guys, you know, you knew they were going to go early, that the Titans weren't going to have a shot at those if they didn't, you know, spend some crazy capital to get up and get one of those guys. But it seems like every year we're seeing that there's just this this whole slew of receivers. And like you said, what do you need? What do you need? What do you want? You find that guy and you can go get him. And so I think we're going to, as we go forward, I think we're going to see a lot more receivers that are drafted later than what we're used to coming in and be productive just because of the abundance of talent that we're seeing at that position. Well, and Racy McMath in the sixth round, who's to say he doesn't end up being better than Fitzpatrick? Because here's a guy who goes to LSU, and because of who's there, he really didn't get a chance to play anything but kick coverage until this past fall. 
I mean, what does he look like if he's one of the two or three receivers who consistently gets to play in the Joe Burrow year? Well, he's not. You know, he 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 plays the first six games this year. He's doing okay. They don't have quite the passing game they had the year before, and then he gets hurt and misses the last four games. But I mean, you're talk you're talking about a guy when you look at the height, weight, speed. I mean, he's six two and a half. He's 215 pounds, has weighed as much as 225, and runs in the four threes. I mean, it's like, and, and I apologize for using baseball analogies. I love baseball. But I, when I watch Major League Baseball right now, does everybody throw 100 miles an hour? Yes. <laughs> it seems like they do, yeah. right? Yep. Well, and, and I think that's where we are in football with these receivers. And and you keep having these receivers who are almost afterthoughts in the draft to to the fans and to the analysts and then they end up they end up doing super things and it's like is that because is that because the team that picked them was brilliant or is that because guys keep developing and guys you know guys keep waiting for opportunities um yeah, I think you're right. I think what we're going to see is you're going to have teams that are going to grab the more specialized things earlier than than the receivers because I think a day three receiver is still going to project to have a chance to make an impact on your roster. Does he project the same way the number five pick in the draft overall goes? No. But – does it? I mean, this is a massive change. This is a massive change, um, and and I think it's going to continue to be this way because I think teams, college teams, are going to keep throwing the ball, and receivers are going to keep being put out. I mean, some of the guys who were signed as undrafted are crazy good, you know, from from what I saw playing college football. But maybe they have one thing about them that doesn't quite figure, or they have an injury, or you know, whatever. Uh, but I, I think you're going to continue to see it. And then you mentioned, you know, in round two, you're thinking about an edge guy um, because we know the the issues that they've had there over the last couple of years and just not getting enough pressure on the right. quarterback. And, and I think they had done a good job in free agency addressing that with Danico Audrey, with Bud Dupree, obviously. But they still needed another guy um, because, again, you're talking about Harold Landry, who's in the final year of his deal. Um, you need depth at that position anyway because you would like to be able to rotate rotate those guys. That was the thing sure. that we had heard about Harold Landry. Maybe play him fewer snaps, he'll be more effective, and then he ends up playing you know pretty much every snap last year. Um, and, and Rashad Weaver in the fourth round is a guy that just – we know John Robinson likes production. And when you look at what Weaver did in college, I mean, he got better every year, had seven and a half sacks last year. A guy, again, I, I mean, he's a fourth-round pick, so – I mean, you temper expectations a little bit considering that. But, again, another guy that just seems like a really good value and a guy that, you know, has had production and a guy that you you think can probably come in and help as a piece of the rotation, hopefully from day one. Yeah, and the other thing he can do too, Jimmy, is he can put his hand down. You know, he lined up over the center. He lined up at defensive tackle. In, in sort of those fast break packages, the third downs when you're going to rush, you'd love to see a guy like that. I mean, he could line up next to Big Jeff and go rush the passer with Landry and Dupree on the field at the same time. 
And I, I mean, I think he's going to, to me, he looks so much like Derek Morgan physically. And his numbers are similar to Derek Morgan's out of Georgia Tech. Derek, Derek's a real underrated player for us. He did really nice stuff for us over the course of his career, especially from the standpoint of what a complete player he was, playing the run, rushing the passer, making some things happen. I, I think this guy's probably a little better athlete overall. Um, and, but I, I do think his versatility with his size gives you something that, that kind of excites you. He's also got a big chip on his shoulder. You know, I mean, he really does. Um, he was like the 1,536th rated player coming out of high school. He was committed to Michigan, and they called him and said, we don't want you anymore. You can walk on if you want to. He said, no thanks. I'm going to go to Pitt. Um, he has the knee injury in 19. He has a great year at 18. There's some thought that he's going to come out after the 19 season. He He's injured right off the bat, comes back this year. There's some COVID confusion. Uh, he, he has two positive tests and two negative tests, but they hold him out of a game. Then he plays nine games, and he does really, really well. And again, he, he's a lot like Fitzpatrick. It, it's a lot like, what, what's your flavor? What do you want to do? What are you looking for? He gives you versatility in your packages and can potentially develop into a starter down the line. So, yeah, I like that one. And I, I, I liked what I thought he brought them at that spot. I liked the value. He was rated higher by everybody else. I mean, Rashad Weaver was a well-thought-of play, player going into this process. And so to get him at 135, that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, and we already touched on uh, Racy McMath, uh, what he can potentially bring. They rounded out with Brady Breeze, you know, a safety from Oregon. And and the safety position is one of the more intriguing battles that you have coming into this camp. Because like you said, I mean, we assume Amani Hooker is is going to take the spot that was vacated with with Kenny Vaccaro being cut. But, you know, just to have another guy that can come in and compete there, a guy that you hope can contribute on special teams, I mean, that's most likely what what he's going to do in year one. But, I mean, again – that's another position that wasn't necessarily at the at top of mind when you looked at Titans' needs coming into this draft, but they needed to add some depth there and, and another guy that can come in and compete for a spot. Yeah, I mean, I think he he has a chance to compete for a starting job. Why not? You know, I mean, I, I, Dane Cripshank's probably saying the same thing. Matthias Farley, who was signed as a free agent, is probably saying the same thing as well. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do with Molden. We'll see, you know, what his position is when we start to work in August, but Breeze is is a guy that had he played in 2020, you wonder where he would have been drafted. And you feel badly for so many of those Pac-12 guys because they were convinced they weren't playing. And and he told the story, and if you listen to Breeze's story about that, so they say, okay, we're not having a season. So what does he do? He moves out of his apartment. He, he, you know, he at that point starts training for the draft. He goes to work, and then all of a sudden they call him and say, oh, by the way, now we've changed our mind. We're going to play. So you're, you're like, okay, do I want to go back and kind of jump back into this, or do I just want to go ahead with what I had started doing? I don't think it was selfish, Jimmy. I, I, don't, th- I don't think that was the case. I think some of these guys, particularly guys who already had their degree, 
I, I think they just said, I'm going to, I'm going to move on. The way he ended 2019, and in particular that Rose Bowl against Wisconsin, where he was dominant, MVP of the game, 11 tackles, um, been interesting. You know, I mean, if, if he comes back and follows that up, you know, maybe he's a third-round pick or a fourth-round pick, and then you're not generally talking about a sixth-round pick as a potential starter. But if he were a third- or fourth-round pick, we would be, right? Yeah. Because that's perception. I, I don't know if he can start or not. I, I don't know what he's got at this level. But he's got some juice. He's got some family history. Uh, Chad Cote is his uncle. And Chad Cote played safety in this league for a long time. A lot of respect for him. Um, he'll hit. He's converted linebacker. He's a four-star recruit who can really run. So it's not like he's just a quote-unquote former walk-on, try-hard guy, great story, you know. I mean, he's a prospect. So let's see. You know, I, I reached out to somebody at, at Oregon, and they go, oh, gosh, wow. You know, they, this is somebody who was, I think, at their kid's ball game or something and didn't realize he hadn't already been drafted, but but understood that at the let, safety position is kind of like a, a linebacker position, a guard position. Uh, generally, guys are going to fall. They're going to get taken later because you can normally find them and – you know, the Titans are certainly hoping they found one in the sixth round. No, and that's such a good point about not all opt-outs being created equal. Because like right. you said, we, we have a short memory when it comes to that kind of stuff. And, and the Pac-12 was, I mean, they were the last conference, right, to, to say they were going to, the major right. conferences, to say they were going to play. And, and so, yeah, it's a mindset thing for a lot of those guys. It's a different training and, and all of that stuff. So, I mean, that, that's a really good point that I think people will forget, you know, as we move past all of that. Um, just that some guys had just different decisions to make and not based on, well, I'm not going to play. I'm just going to go get ready for the draft. You know, as late as, I mean, I don't, I don't remember when they decided they were going to play, but it was later, way later in the process than right. like the SEC and all of that. So that, that, that's a, it's a really good point there. Well, the SEC opt-outs, I think, were a little different because the SEC always said they were going to play. You know, they made it clear, and I'm not making a judgment about anybody who opted out because everybody had to make their own decision, but the point was they, because of how the SEC handled it, they knew what was going to go on. The other conferences didn't. And remember how the SEC got skewered by people. Oh, you're, how can you not think of this and all this? It wasn't until players like Trevor Lawrence and others and parents groups started protesting that the other conferences even considered it. And, you know, and then some of the documentation came out as well. And, and what we ended up seeing that, that, that was so fascinating is that guys did not get COVID playing the game of football. It didn't happen. Now, they, they did in you know, in cafeterias and in meeting rooms and in things like that, you know, that's what we learned is that the game itself and, and everybody thought, oh, you breathe on somebody, you tackle somebody, you, you know, you cover somebody on a pass, uh, that's going to be dangerous. And, you know, it was in, in fairness to everybody involved, there was so much we did not know last summer. 
And there was so much information that was learned during the course of the season. Unfortunately, you know, the Titans were one of the teams that that taught some of those lessons. And to everybody, you know, to, to everybody. And there were some things that uh, that were learned about distancing from us that were used in places other than sports. You know, in terms of total time together meant, meant more than just being together. Remember, they initially said if you're together for 10 to 15 minutes, at one time it can happen. And what they learned later is if you were together for a combined period of, what, 10 to 15 minutes, it could happen. So, you know, it was just a – it was a bizarre thing that certainly impacted this draft dramatically. Yeah, and it's so fascinating because, I mean – I don't know how true this is, but I mean, I remember back in the summer, there was talk that if, you know, that the SEC and ACC were playing and then it was like the Big 12, they hadn't made a decision yet. And there was talk that if the Big 12 said they weren't playing, that everybody else might fold too, you know? And so it's just well, all that stuff that, that we, we forget about as we move past it. Yeah. Nicole Arbach won a national award because she reported first they were not playing and she was right. They were not playing. And initially they were not going to play. And that became a thing with the, you know, with the Big Ten and and the Pac the Pac twelve, and they were supposedly going to set the standard, as you said. And the, you know, the SEC decided to go forward. And boy, speaking of the SEC, sixty five SEC players selected out of two fifty nine. Do you realize? It's crazy. That's that's twenty five percent. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Whoa. It- and like you said, I mean, it, it's such a, and it's going to be fascinating once we get past all of this, looking back at, you know, wh- where it did transmit and all that kind of stuff. But like you said, I mean, the Titans played the Vikings with COVID, <laughs> you know, that was the start of the, of the outbreak. And it was that next week. And to my knowledge, none of the Vikings ended up testing positive based on that game. Based, and, and, based on playing the Titans. Yeah. Right. And, and so we learned a lot, like you said, from that. And it was good information to have, you know, as, as, as we moved forward. Um, so again, I, I just think it'll be fascinating to go back and look at all that stuff once we're past it and all the, you know, all, all the stuff that went along with that. Well, it certainly affected this draft from the information standpoint. And John Robinson is not a guy who likes to make excuses or likes to throw out, uh, things that could be used as an asterisk at some point. Oftentimes, if you, if you ask him a question about, Will this impact you negatively in this way based on whatever scenario you throw out? He'll be like, no, <laughs> just that's it. Brable's the same way. Yeah. They, but they, they really let you know that the fact that they did not have all of the medical information that they near, that they usually do from the combine had a massive impact. John talked to me about it for Titans radio very specifically, you heard Jerry Jones talk about it when he did his press conference before the draft, talking about for the Cowboys and just how difficult it had been that a lot of you wonder how many more guys were redlined on boards based on the fact that they just didn't know. Not that not that they had something and their medical people said, redline this guy, we can't draft him. How many guys were just redlined based on the fact that, 
we've got a question about Smith or Jones, and because of that, we are not picking him. I would I would bet you a quarter it was incredibly high. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so as we sit here, you know, with, with all of this being done, um, with this draft class, you talked about there, the, that third wave that could come with, with some of the veterans that are still out there. What positions right. do you think the Titans are still looking to address and, and to upgrade as we go into I mean, obviously they're looking to upgrade everything. But where are a couple of places you think they still maybe need to add a player or two to at least come into camp and battle? You know, I don't, I don't know that it's to come into camp. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't add a veteran defensive lineman at some point. But that could come in August. You know, uh, veteran wide receiver, maybe if you find some. But again, that guy could be here in September. Uh, tight end, maybe. That may be the one, uh, although it's it's certainly been rumored that they have agreed to terms with two undrafteds. We'll have to wait and see if that comes true. And that would give them more tight end depth. The guy at tight end, too, that I think we're forgetting about I mean, there are two guys that are not being talked about at tight end. First of all, Tommy Hudson from Arizona State, who was on the practice squad last year, who showed some potential. The guy I'm really interested in seeing is Jared Pickney. I'm really interested in seeing what he's like a year removed from Vanderbilt. Because I'll tell you, you know, if you're talking about this guy two, three years ago, I mean, this guy's going to be a draft pick. He's going to be a... You know, he was really well thought of, and his Vanderbilt career didn't end very well. And you just you just wonder if if there's something in there that they're able to get out of him that that ends up being that he potentially could end up being a difference maker. I don't know. Uh, but the positions I would say defensive line, tight end, wide receiver, those would be the one that probably jump out. I think You'll see, you know, if, if you're a vested veteran, then your salary is guaranteed if you're on the roster in week one. I I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of vested veterans don't sit out camp and then wait until after week one and then sign. Because then they only owe you week to week, but you could probably get a better deal. You you might be able to get a better deal to play 16 games by signing September 14th than you could get to play 17 games by signing on July 14th. And some guys may choose to wait. Yeah, and then last thing, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but it, it sounds like we are going to get some type of rookie minicamp. I think everything else is is pretty much yeah. up in the air at this point. But, I mean, I guess the, the, the last thing that we're going to see before training camp in August could be potentially some of these rookies on the field, at least to some extent getting some kind of work before we head into training camp, right? Yeah, I think we're going to see some of that. And it feels like we're going to get some sort of on-field work, maybe as little as a mini camp for the veterans at some point. The, the thing that we're just not obviously going to see because we're already into it is they're not going to bring them into town just to do, you know, some work on the field without pads and without coaches and things of that sort. You said it. We'll see what it ends up being. 
but yeah, the rookies will the rookies will have a chance to come in and and get a feel for it and you know take their physicals and get measured for their helmets and their shoulder pads and you know do all the things that they need to do. Um, the Zoom prospect too is is going to be there. I mean, there are going to be a lot of Zoom meetings. I think what jumps out to me too, Jimmy, is how many smart guys there are in this draft class. Really smart guys. And I think that was a target based on how you're going to have to learn in this sort of, as we like to say for some time, this new world. Yeah, it, it'll be fun to, to see how all that plays out. And, you know, obviously they, they valued guys that were at the Senior Bowl that they at least got exactly. a little bit more hands-on or at least got to see them on a practice field in person. That without having the combine and that that stuff too, you you saw a, especially from the Titans a, a little bit higher value on those guys. That's right, and because you wanted some sure, you wanted to see them play football. You wanted to be able to look them in the eye a little bit. You also know that all of the testing that was done at the Senior Bowl, whether you know measurements or whatever, was done in a uniform manner, so that every you know some of the pro day stuff was. I mean. We, we were joking on the OTP about there were linemen running 4-2. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it was, it's like, does everyone run 4-2 and have a 40-inch vertical? And, uh, you know, and, and I'm not saying people were doing everything wrong, but the, the the standards were certainly not as uniform as what they normally are. Well, yeah. And I was just going to say, in a normal year, you, you see the discrepancy at the combine between a, a hand-timed 40 and a laser-timed 40. Mm-hmm. And that, that's always been a thing. And you didn't have those laser-timed 40s this year. So like you said, yeah, everybody's running fast and all that stuff. But I think there was just value in like some type of uniformity that you got at the senior bowl that you weren't able to get anywhere else this year. Well, I think when you look at this draft, I think this was how a good team drafts. And the Titans are a good team right now. And so what do they do? They address corner with a possible starter. They address offensive line with a guy who's a possible starter. They go take care of a linebacker spot that they need. They've certainly improved their depth at the very least at the linebacker spot. They get a value over what the pick is at number 100 in another corner in Elijah Molden. They utilize the fourth round well with a very productive, very grown-up receiver. You know, Fitzpatrick and Weaver are both 24 years old, so they get a productive receiver and a productive outside linebacker. And then they go to the sixth round. They take a prospect who, you know, that's the kind of thing scouts love. They love a Racy McMath because Racy McMath could be an absolute Grand Slam home run. At the very least, he covers kicks for you. And then you go get a safety who's a productive guy. So you fill needs, you help your salary cap situation, you help your depth, and most importantly, you're better. These guys, you're you're better football team. You're faster. You're you're tougher. You're I mean, these guys can all play. And that's what you want to do. I, I don't think you sit around and say, well, we reached for a bunch of former pole vaulters who are trying football for the first time, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, some teams do that, and that's great. Yeah, I, I also don't think that you picked guys out of whack in terms of where they were rated, and that's a that's a big deal. Uh, you want to get guys at 
spots where, you know, it's like Molden is the 50th rated prospect. You got him at number 100. You know, Farley is a teens prospect at the very least. You got him at 22. Raidens is a top 40 prospect. You got him at 53. So on and so forth. That That's how a good team drafts. And I, I think, you know, read the ratings, B minus, B plus, B whatever. I mean, be aggressive. I don't care. <laughs> What, what I want to do is I want at the end of the day, when we when we get off the bus, are we a better team than we were on Wednesday today? Are we a better team today than we were last Wednesday? I think the answer is emphatically yes. That guarantees you of nothing except that you're going to have a chance to compete because you've kind of got a good thing going right now. You've you got a quarterback, you got a running back, got a wide receiver. Gets, you know, you've got some things, uh, scores and points. Hey, let's take our chance. But there's still work to be done. And, Jimmy, how John's going to maneuver over the next four months, and I mean literally four months he's going to have to maneuver, is going to be really fascinating to watch, maybe even more fascinating than the draft process. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, you're going to see the, the the difference between the, the, the good scouting drafting teams and, and the, the ones that are not so good in, in these couple of years w- with all of the, the, the restrictions and all that stuff. So it, it's going to be fun to watch, and, and I think, like you said, I think they, they got better. I think it's funny that, you know, for all of the angst we had over the way the defense struggled last year to have a, a, a defensive-heavy draft early on, for so much pushback from that, it's just funny. I think people have short memories when it comes to that kind of stuff. Well, and remember, when we picked Derrick Henry in 2016, what everybody said, why are you picking a running back here? You just got DeMarco Murray. What are we doing? You know, there there are a lot of times people said, when we drafted Taylor Lewan, people said, what are you doing? When, <laughs> you know, it, it's in the moment, because listen, we all want sexy and fun. We all do. I mean, it's when we're drafting, man. We want the fast guys, and you know, we 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 want the guys who are going to be on the posters and everything. But you've got to find foundational players too. You've got to find guys. I mean, two years ago when we took Amani Hooker in the fourth round, I remember thinking, man, that is a great pick. And if he ends up starting for us at safety this coming year, and continues to be successful then guess what? That was a great pick. You got a starter in the fourth round. And you had cost containment at that position for four years while he played in the dime package. Last year played a lot more snaps, started some for you. And then the thought that you could have him for two more years on his rookie contract as a starter, uh, that would be a great pick. Absolutely. Well, Mike, I appreciate you joining me. As always, second time out. I know it's been a crazy weekend for you to do this. It's always a, always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, I've uh, enjoyed you know, keeping up with what you and your colleagues have been doing pre-draft. You've taught me a lot. You've made me think. And uh, so I'm appreciative of the chance to be with you, Jimmy. You know I always enjoy it. All right. Thanks so much for saying that. That is Mike Keith voice of the titans we appreciate his time as always again this is home run throwback a broadway sports media podcast check out the website broadway sports media for everything you need to know about the tennessee titans 
So for Mike Keith, this is Jimmy Morris saying thanks so much for joining you, and we will talk to you again later. Brought to you by Broadway Sports Media.